0: Christ in the kingdom, so uh, let's do like we've always been doing as we start this, this teaching by praying the prayer he taught us to pray, that we call it the Lord's Prayer, and so let's do that together right now. One, two, three, go. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, as a kind of throwaway sentence, <clears throat> there could be a whole teaching. I have a whole note that I've written, and I've kind of sprinkled it throughout this little mini-series. But this prayer was, was literally, if you superimpose this prayer over the life and ministry of Jesus, you see the prayer drove his entire vocation. Does that make sense? So so his whole ministry is about revealing the Father. His whole ministry is everywhere he is, the kingdom's breaking in. His whole ministry, heaven is overlapping with earth. His whole ministry, he is the living bread. He's feeding people with his life-giving words. His whole ministry, he's getting in trouble because he thinks he has the authority to forgive sinners. Aren't you glad? His whole ministry, he's overcoming the enemy. He came to destroy the works of the devil, to overthrow the prince of this world, and to inaugurate and establish his heavenly kingdom on the earth. So I love this prayer. I hope it just, you're ruined forever. It's so much more than we close our eyes and pray a very familiar prayer they've been praying for 2,000 years. This is an invitation to a kind of life, which the best way to think about prayer is in the midst of the busyness and chaos and difficulties of life. Did you know that it's in that space and place God wants to show up in real time and real places and to establish a, a beachhead an outpost of his kingdom in that space and place. All in favor, say amen. So we're going to talk about this whole idea of your kingdom come, your will be done. And, and before, as we get there, this is going to be a really uh, foundational teaching, and, and I'm not assuming everything's going to be new for you. But when we think about the kingdom of God, a lot has been written about it because it was the thing principally Jesus was all about, the reign and the rule of his father's kingdom, their heavenly kingdom breaking into the earth that that has been ravaged by sin because of the fall, because of the treason and rebellion of of God's image bearers, us, against his good creation. And so to understand the kingdom of God, I I have this little one-liner as a little working thesis. The nature of said kingdom will flow from the nature of that king. This is why like in, in nations where there's dictators, like it's just an expression of the emperor, of the president, of the prime minister, of the whatever it is, the the ruler, the kingdoms that kings rule in, that really their kingdoms are an expression of their nature. Just nod your head at me if that makes sense. So when we think about the kingdom of God, we, we the best way to learn about what the kingdom of God is like is to actually learn about what God is like. Amen. Because that is going to express origin, one of the early church fathers, you can see 184 A.D., he coined the phrase, referring to Jesus, that Jesus was the auto basilia, which means he was the kingdom in person. So everywhere Jesus goes, he is the living embodiment of what the world is meant to look like when it's rightly oriented and aligned with God's will, God's word, and God's ways. Say that with me, God's will, God's word, and God's ways. So when Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done, when he teaches us to pray that way, just like we looked at last week, when we see hallowed be your name, it's not just vertical worship, it's living so that his name is manifest in our attitudes and actions, character and conduct. In the same way, Lord, let your kingdom come. What he's looking for is a person who's embodying the way of the king in real time and real place. All of Jesus's ministry is an expression of and at a real-time embodiment of the reign and rule and realm of God in our midst. So to pray your kingdom come, we have to, we have to understand if the, the kingdom takes its shape from the nature of his king, how many think it's a pretty good idea to answer Jesus's question when he asks his disciples halfway through his ministry? This is incredible. Jesus is healed. He preached the Sermon on the Mount. He's driven out demons, he's forgiven sinners, he's stilled storms. And finally, Matthew 16, there's only 28 chapters in Matthew. He's like, so anyway, guys, who do you think I really am? So to understand the nature of the kingdom, we all have to answer this question like we're there in that original group of disciples. Who do you guys say that I am? If you're going to understand what my kingdom's like, you certainly got to know the identity of the king to be able to understand the nature of his kingdom. So he said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. So, to understand his kingdom, we have to first agree and confess that Christ is the Messiah. He's Israel's anointed ruler and long hoped for king. We're going to talk about it a lot this Advent season. He's not just the king, he's also the son of the living God. He is God's covenant wrapped in flesh and bone. And one of the best ways to think about it, well, no doubt you'll see it on the screens these next four weeks, Isaiah 9, 6. It perfectly illustrates the dual nature of Christ. For to us a son is given and a child is born. The child born represents his humanity. The son given, that's his uncreated eternal nature. Does that make sense? A child born, he's the Messiah. He's he's a royal son born of the flesh of man from David's lineage. Thus, he is Israel's Messiah and king. But he's also the son given, so he's the eternal uncreated word made flesh. So to get the nature of the kingdom, we have to confess the nature of our king. He's fully God, fully man. He's the king, and he's the eternal son, all wrapped up into one perfect nature. Christ is the rock that the church is built on. So Jesus promised to understand that the nature of the kingdom, you have to understand the nature of, of the king. I will, I love this promise. I tell you, read it with me. You are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church really loud and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The church by its very nature at its very foundation, is called to be victorious. Someone say amen. Not limping around. Yes, we're called to suffer and do hard things and to give our lives. I get that. But even in death is not the end if you're in Christ. I had my kids read that, John 5, to this, this week in their little devotions. Those who hear God's voice, John five twenty four. in that moment where they put trust in the voice that calls them, turning from sin, running to the Savior, they pass from death to life forever. Amen. I was reading this, the, the Lazarus story. I, I want to preach Lazarus because this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Shocker. John 11. But I love it. Jesus tells Martha in all of her worry, if you believe in me now, I am the resurrection and the life. Even those who die by believing in me, they're alive in me. It's a death. So we're victorious. And it's this community that cannot fail because it's rooted and built on the foundation of Jesus. So the, the, the church is built on the confession that Jesus is king. And he's this eternal son. And the church has an eternal mission called storming the gates of hell with victory on the inside. How many are thankful? I love the, one of the great missionaries, uh, uh, this guy called C.T. Studd, not fair. <laughs> Literally, his name is C.T. Studd, a uh, 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 pioneering missionary. He said, I want, my goal is that there'd be a, ch- a church bell ringing Everywhere there, there are the gates of hell represented in these unreached. He wanted. He said a church belongs right there in the mouth where it's the worst happening because he believed in the victory that God promised his church. I will build my church, and hell itself, its gates, will not prevail against it. Come on, amen. I will give you. So the church has keys. That's what I want you to understand. The, 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 the relationship between the church, the church isn't the kingdom of God, but the church has a kingdom of God mission. The kingdom of God encompasses the church. Everyone say encompass. It's bigger than the church, but within the realm of God's reign and kingdom, he's got a specific people who have a specific kingdom task, which is your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus promised, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So he's given his church authority within the realm of his kingdom to increasingly agree with what is happening in heaven for it to be manifest on the earth. That's what you do with those keys. It's God giving, Jesus Christ giving authority to those who understand the nature of the king to do kingdom work in the world. Just nod at me if that's at least sort of making sense. Who do you say that I am? You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. You're right. Now, I have, you have a hell storming mission. Hades itself, its gates won't prevail. And now I'll give you keys to accomplish your mission. The authority and the power you will need to be a people who live at the intersection of heaven and earth overlapping. And right at the center are a people who are obeying the will, the word, and the way of the king. So we've got keys. Someone say, I got keys. The church is built on Christ and Christ has given the church an, uh, an invitation to participate in his kingdom mission the church is that this is uh, stanley howard ross the brilliant theologian the church is that colony of heaven on earth people who've been called out who've given full allegiance to jesus submitted to his lordship and are practicing his ways by being filled with his spirit and obeying. a, com- a community of disciples who are a new humanity because of the grace of jesus and with a mandate to bring and to bear witness to the reality of heaven breaking in to the earth. This is why he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. We stand at the intersection and the overlap of heaven and earth in the place of prayer and in communion and community with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One of the main ways we can participate in God's kingdom mission is by praying. How many have someone right now, either people, places, or things that you know need to bend their their knee, bow their hearts, and confess with their lips that Jesus is Lord? How many have something in their life that needs to come into alignment with God's will and purpose and agenda? Everybody. In my own life. All of us. One of the main ways we participate in that work is by prayer. By saying, God, This is what you've revealed in your word. This is what I see in the life and teaching and ministry of Jesus. This doesn't look like that. So Lord, I'm crying out for this person, this place, or this thing, this situation to come into agreement and to experience life as you designed a destiny it with Christ at the center, the cross lifted and the kingdom invaded, whatever situation I'm facing. In that sense, we are never powerless. We may be powerless in our own resources to change people, places, and things, But through the vehicle of prayer, we're able to release resources from above that are stored for us in Christ himself. And to say, God, release all that you are and all that you promised, all that you purpose into the people, places and things that need your touch. Okay, amen. The kingdom of God, why is it important? Well, I gave you a little summary. It's used 66 times. Kingdom of heaven in Matthew is used 31. A total of 151 times. We should know what it is and why we're praying for it and how to live into it. Principally, by learning how to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. As I've been describing for four or five weeks, we're meant to inhabit a life of prayer. And the best way I can describe it is how Jesus put it. Let's read this together. Come to me, all of you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We learn to live the kingdom life by being yoked with the king himself, learning, listening, and loving him. We see in the Lord's Prayer that living as citizens of his kingdom and his yoke will involve daily bread, forgiveness, and reconciliation, direction, and deliverance, power, and victory over the enemy's schemes and plans. Uh, G.K. Beale is a great theologian. He writes a lot about uh, biblical theology. I have several big, long, beautiful books, and he says this. This is so helpful. Our urgency for causes like social justice and urban centers or missions to unreach people groups must grow out of a deep prayer-soaked submission to God's word. The history of kingdom breakthrough is a history of faithful submission to God's word over time in difficult places. God's presence and kingdom is manifest as God's people daily submit themselves to God's word. It doesn't come all at once. Don't you wish it did? Darn it! So when do we pray this prayer? Every day, all day, all day, throughout the day. And we expect, like all the six or so parables in Matthew 13 alone, all of those parables give us a picture of how the kingdom comes, which is what? In seed form, takes time to be rooted and to grow until it permeates whole hillsides, whole gardens, whole forests. But but as people, we've got to be willing to sign up for this long haul journey. That's why I'm convinced he gave, it to, he gave it to us in the form of a prayer, that this prayer, this life and lifestyle is something we're meant to inhabit and embody. What does it mean to pray? I thought of this this morning. I wrote this part right here. What does it mean to pray kingdom prayers? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Whatever you see Jesus teaching, training, healing, and doing, this is the king making manifest his heavenly kingdom on earth. And this is what should preoccupy our prayer. Listen, I know I'm a prayer guy. We have a ministry called The Altar. I'm trying to build a praying church with Jesus' help. But one of the reasons why most of us don't come to prayer is because we think it's boring. There, I said it. And most of the time, the reason why prayer is boring is because it's more about us than God's kingdom. What I'm giving my life to, beyond being a husband to my beautiful wife and a father to my amazing children, as a pastor of people and a leader just in the, in the church that's trying to build prayer, is to change the narrative that prayer, when, when we put God at the center, his kingdom, his cross, his purposes and plans, and we spend the majority of our time there, and we spend thorough time agreeing with who he is, what he's done, what he's promised, we're praising, we're worshiping. If we'll give the majority of our, quote, prayer time to that, we'll find that all the little things we need to God to do in our life will eventually probably get absolved or taken care of when we have an adequate vision of his glory and sufficiency. And the reason we build the altars, we're trying to train each other because none of us are good at it. Most of us, our house is burning down. God help! But that's how we pray personally and that's how we pray corporately. And there's a time to say the house is burning down. But the, the real, the, the, the invitation, guys, we're trying to build an altar in our hearts, our church, our homes, et cetera. If we're trying to change the narrative that prayer, if we enter into the prayer with this in mind, God, I want you to get what you want first. And then I'll trust that if you'll get what you want, which is a heart yielded and surrendered and submission, and then voices that are in agreement with what he's saying, and what he's promised and purpose, that I'll trust you to take care of my little world if I'll get taken up into your world which is his kingdom. And how many have grown in that? When you realize you put worship in his presence and his word and his, you, you, you go up first before you go in, how many have seen that change their devotional life or even our altar times? You're like, yeah, they're not that boring. Sometimes they are, they're little stretches. Just being honest. But he always shows up. Because when we go up, we'll find him, we'll seek him. That's, that's what it means to bring kingdom prayers. I'm thinking about him first before me. And again, all of us, when we're born into the kingdom, we're born not as fully grown, mature disciples, but as little baby infants. And last time I checked, infants are mostly concerned about themselves. That's how all of us are. That's how we start in the kingdom of God. And God doesn't browbeat us or say, you know, get over yourself. He said, okay, now let's grow up. Let me teach you that life doesn't revolve around you, you, you. It actually revolves around me. I have a really big job, which is to like reign and rule over the cosmos. But I'm inviting you, little person, who's in my kingdom to participate in my huge, big plan. And you do that in little, tiny, small ways where you obey me in the real stuff of life. So, how to pray kingdom prayers is I look at the king and go, everything Jesus was about, I want that to drive the way I relate to the Father and agree with the Father's will and purpose. Does that make sense? Kind of. Okay, so how do I know what to pray for? I look at the mission statement of Jesus, the king. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. How many think if you have a passion to see good news to the poor, that's a big, huge area. You could pray knowing you're hitting the mark of kingdom prayer. How many have a passion to see freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight, those who are blind by their sin, they're oppressed by the devil. My wife and I just watched Sound of Freedom Oh my goodness, uh, the the whole sex trade industry—like it just put that cry in your heart. That's a God cry. How many of you think God cares about that? Children stolen and then sold for sex and slavery. I think He cares about that. So my point is, when we look at what Jesus's ministry was, that gives us ten thousand things that we know. If I'm praying in alignment with that, I'm praying kingdom prayer. I'm praying in the bullseye of God's heart. Let's get more practical. Someone in your life that's that's enchained by addiction, with pornography or drugs or or substance abuse. Did you know you have a direct end to the heart of God to say, Lord, set that prisoner free. I'm crying out, Lord, deliver so-and-so from such and such. So when we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, it actually gives us uh, uh, our prayer map. How to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Okay, cool. You'll get it here. Here's another thing. This is Jesus's mission statement. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism John preached. Read it with me, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. How he went around doing good and healing Wait, all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. How do I pray kingdom prayers? I look around and go, man, Lord, who is bound or broken by the weight of sin? Lord, I'm praying in the name of Jesus, you would release the power of the gospel over their life. Just nod your head at me if this is making sense. I don't know how to pray kingdom prayers. All I'm used to is praying me prayers. Okay, your prayers are good. He cares about what's going on the inside. He just has more for you. Everyone say he's got more for me. And so how do I know what to do? How do I know what to pray? Kingdom prayers, look at the king and the ministry he, he led and then agree with those things and believe that he who started that work, he's continuing that work through his church on the earth because he's given us keys of his kingdom. Does that make sense? So, okay, one more. This is the last one. I just love when the Bible tells us why Jesus came. The one who does what is simple as the devil is done the Here I am. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Amen. How do I pray kingdom prayers? What's on God's mind? What does it mean to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Anywhere the enemy's agenda to steal, kill, and destroy is being realized, that's a prayer point. Any, any person, any place, any system from the highest offices of our government to the lowest you know, commerce of our city or our town and every sphere and place where they're stealing, killing, and destroying That is a fulcrum point where we are, as citizens of the kingdom, we're to go into that place with both prayer and then prayer-filled action and saying, Lord, let your kingdom come right here on the earth as it is in heaven. If that's making sense, can you say amen? Amen. So praying kingdom prayers is praying for the presence and power of God. This is my little definition. To be made known and manifest in, among, and through people, places, and things that are bound up or broken by the enemy. And they're in need of the shalom, the peace that only comes from God's reign and rule. How many now have a few kingdom prayers that they could pray this week in light of what we're talking about? People that are bound or broken or things or institutions or entities that you see the agenda of the enemy. When we pray your kingdom come, that's what that prayer is for. Your will be done. That's the place, the people, the situation that we have now like a laser to to. Uh, One of my favorite ways to think about praying kingdom prayers is, uh, I don't even know the war movie, I've seen a lot, and and I'm very aware that war is real. So I I can't give you a title, I've seen many, but uh, where there has to be someone on the ground that's painting the target with a laser for them to know where to uh, drop the the, the munitions. And I, I picture that, that's a little gnarly. When we think about prayer, but there is a little bit. Read Revelation 8. When the saints pray, he hurls forth lightning on the earth. It is there in the Bible, pretty gnarly. Heavenly lightning, heavenly thunder. So I love that picture that on the earth, there's someone agreeing with, the, with, with a person, a place, or a thing, an institution, rulers, powers, authorities. We're saying on the earth, Lord, through prayer, through worship, through agreement, Lord, right there, we're, we're painting the target, if you will, for God to land with heaven overlapping and invading the earth. Does that make sense? I don't know if that metaphor hits you. It makes sense to me. He's looking for agreement on the earth with his heavenly purpose and plans. And the kingdom always comes where the king's will is being done. This I love. And I preached on this probably eight weeks ago in the Romans 12 sermon. No one remembers it because I don't remember it. (laughs) But every time we obey, the kingdom comes. So, which, like, big obedience or little obedience? All obedience. Your king, it's, not a mis- it's mysterious in the sense of, Lord, your kingdom's coming, but I see a bunch of things that are still ravaged by sin and under the. You're right. It's messy because it's now and not yet. It's inaugurated and established, but fully coming. And when Jesus returns, so we're in this messy, it's a fight, it's a war. That's why, by the way, he ends the prayer with, Lead us not into temptation, but what? Dude, he's- Jesus gives us, like, hey, by the way, you're in a battle, because there's hostility. There's other kingdoms. There's an enemy in, uh, that's directly opposed to my will being done. But it's not a mystery in the sense of where is his kingdom be coming. It's right at the cross section where people are obeying. Say it with me. My obedience my matters. matters. It matters more than we could know. In a little tiny way, a heart that's like, no, I'm not budging my convictions. I'm going to obey. I'm going to live by his word of integrity in this place. How I handle myself at work, in my relationships, in my coming and my going. Lord, I want everywhere I go to be an intersection, an overlap of your heavenly kingdom and the kingdoms that I'm facing, walking amongst, in real time, and real places. This is such a foundational passage But when Jesus gets done preaching the whole Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and he says this in verse twenty-one: Not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord," will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. He who do the will of my Father in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me on that day, "This used to scare me when I was a little kid. Keep me up at night." That's serious. I'm actually serious. And there were some like corny, scary Christian movies that were made of like people who didn't do His will. But anyway, I digress. He goes on to say, many will say to me, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons and perform many miracles? With which, by the way, on any day, those three things would be great to be doing. Amen. Amen. Prophesying, driving out demons, performing <laughs> miracles. Pretty good day. But he tells them, but I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And the, the, the best way I heard this described, this is new insight to me. I've studied it. Didn't know it. I heard Pastor Pat Sparrow from here say it, pass it, their problem was, look at the language, did not we prophesy and drive up demons, perform miracles, that there were people who thought, that they were under the illusion that because they were hanging out with other people who were obeying and doing this stuff, that, that their obedience would carry their personal responsibility. This is Pastor Pat. I think he's right. Whereas, God, when we stand individually, personally, <coughs> you are like, yeah, we did all this great stuff. He's like, I know a lot of people did, but you thought their obedience... Uh, uh, carried your personal obedience? And and how many know that is sobering? Did not we prophesy and drive out to And He goes, but I never knew, and it gets singular, I never knew you. How many want to have personal history with God? I want to obey him. And and, And there is something about the fear of the Lord. I know we're afraid to talk about it, but I am to be in awe of the holiness and majesty and glory of God. What's amazing is that holy God reveals himself to us and he invites us to walk with his son, whose heart is humble and gentle. So he's holy, other, glorious, worthy of full honor. But he's also like, hey, take my yoke, let's walk. You get rest, like learn about my heart. So in Jesus, he holds all of that together. So after saying that, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter. I never knew you. You were on the illusion that you were obeying, but other people around you were, but you weren't. And then he says this, this is so, helpful. this is like a life parable. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be a wise man, who builds their house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. What is the difference between the wise builder and the foolish one? Obedience. is The key word I was looking for. Acting. The wise person is like, you know what? I'm going to obey the king. I'm going to build my, and thus, I'm going to have a house built on a rock. The foolish was like, I don't need to act on what I'm learning in church every day or reading in my Bible. It's just a religious jargon, theory. He's like, You're foolish, your house is shaky, it's on sand. The only difference, hardship comes to both, difficulty, adversity, the rains, the floods of life, the wind. One house stands, one house crumbles. The difference is it went from head to heart, out into hands. They knew it, they cherished it, they obeyed it, they acted on his word. How many know we've got, we're called when we pray, your kingdom come, the second part, your will be done. Is to act on his word. How many could grow in the acting? Not hypocrisy acting, but acting, but practicing and obeying. We then practice what he's saying and doing, and we follow where he is leading. Oh, praise God. Your kingdom come, and will be done. I love how I quoted this last week, probably, but don't worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, those who don't even believe in God, run after all of these things, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Aren't you thankful? Here's our, appears to be our obsession. This is the banner over our life. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. So I'm practicing, praying, and over all and through all, the thing that's to drive disciples of Jesus, sons and daughters of the Father in heaven. God, I want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. This kingdom-first mentality is what Jesus wants us to adopt, where the posture of our thoughts, our attitudes and actions, and the aim of our hearts is for the kingdom of God to come on the earth as it is in heaven. When we commit to this, we're able to let go of the thousands of things that cause us worry, anxiety, fear, Those things that we can orient around instead of orienting around the king and his kingdom. How many want Jesus at your center versus your big long laundry list of all the things that are out of your control anyway, but that take all of your time, treasure, and energy? I'd rather put him at the center. And the way he stays centered in our hearts and our lives is through, say it with me, Repentance. Uh, from that time on, Jesus began to, repent, to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repentance continues to realign and renew us from the inside out as we keep coming under Christ's leadership and lordship in our life. And it's the way through which we experience and explore more of life. Gordon T. Smith said this, one of my favorite authors, you should read all of his books. Repentance then is not merely a matter of feeling bad, <laughs> praise God. It can include that with something about something we've said or done, but rather it's the act of intentional alignment or better, realignment with the coming reign of Christ. Isn't that helpful? So when he says repent, for the kingdom of heaven's near, it's here, it's breaking into the earth. Where is it breaking in? Where you and I agree, and I love it, come back into realignment with God's reign and rule in Christ. How many need regular realignment every day? I do. I'm a dad. I have a new dog. Okay? I've got a, I'm pastoring a church. I'm married. I've got bills. I've got stuff. I need always to come into realignment with what life looks like when Christ is on the throne, not Chad. Yeah. That's repentance. How many know that repentance isn't a one-off something you did, like the doorway into the kingdom. It is like your life in the kingdom. I come into agreement. That's why I love repentance. I, that doesn't mean I have a low view of sin because it does involve contrition and a remorse. I don't want to do the things I used to do. That's not even what I'm talking about. That's involved. But I'm just saying, Lord, I want to come into agreement with this situation. That fight I had two days ago that I'm still holding a grudge, it's out of alignment with the king and his kingdom. That's not true. I didn't have a fight. But it's an example that all of us can relate to, probably. Not me. My wife's perfect. But, and I'm perfect, so we're good. <laughs> Come on, how many have felt what it is to be out of alignment in your actual body infinitely more in your spirit, in your soul, and your mind? So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, involved in that will be a perpetual invitation to repentance. Come into agreement and alignment. How many have something in their life right now, don't raise your hand, that probably needs to come into realignment with the, the word of God, the reign and rule of Christ? All of us. Tim Keller said this, this is the money quote. In the gospel, the purpose of repentance is to repeatedly tap into the joy of union with Christ in order to weaken our need for anything contrary to God's heart. Oh, he's so good. That's smart. That is a good sentence. The reason I repent is to keep on tapping in to what Christ offers that I'm trying to find elsewhere, but is only found in him coming into alignment, coming into agreement again, again, again. This is what it means to pray your kingdom come and more to live your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is my attempt turning from sin and self-ashamed and running toward God in order to come into alignment and agreement with his pardon, all the peace, the presence, the peace, the power of the perspective wasn't okay. You guys are over the alliteration, but it's all there for your taking and for your feasting. It's the way we recalibrate, recalibrate and reorient our lives to come into agreement with God. This is, this is what it means to pray, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God wants us to do this, not just once a day or once a week. He wants us to do it all day, all throughout the week. God, in this place, when I'm going to work, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, in my friendships, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, you get what I'm saying? Anywhere, everywhere. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, all that stuff is really good. I'm not saying any of it. To the end. To the end we go. Okay, I like this. The whole point of this, the reason why I love the disciples ask Jesus to teach us to pray. It's because he wanted us to grow up to be just like uh, this verse used to be my Apple password, Matthew 10, 24. So I changed it so you, could, you can't get into it. But this used to be how much I tried to think about it. It, was, it was my password. The student is not above the teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough for students to be like their teachers and the servants like their masters. So guess who, the, guess who we're all aiming at? The king. How do we know what the kingdom's like, the nature of our King, and all that He did, all that He taught? How do I know how to pray His kingdom? I look at His life and ministry. Anywhere the enemy still killing and destroying, I'm saying in that place heaven needs to evade. and people, places, and things that are out of whack, that are bound and broken by the enemy still kill, destroy, agenda. That's where I have authority. I have keys that He gave me because I confess He's Messiah, Lord, Son of the Living God. He's given me kingdom authority. To say, Lord, in this person, in this place, in this thing, this institution, this whatever, Lord, in the name of Jesus, let it come into agreement. Let it, let it bow its knee and confess its, with its mouth that Jesus is Lord. Okay, there's no higher or calling for us to become like our master and our teacher. It's a, it's a narrow gate. The wide is gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, only a few find it. We're to give ourselves to calling and inviting those off of the broad road toward destruction and death and into the life-giving road, the way of Jesus. This is why he ended not just with teaching us to pray the kingdom, but then to go do kingdom work out into all the world. We could read this every week and it would never get old because this is our task. Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And we are to go and do all the work, to invite others to be immersed into the kingdom of his love, teach them and model them and empower them to obey Jesus as well. Eugene Peterson describes the church as this, a colony of heaven. The Holy Spirit forms church to be a colony of heaven in a country of death. He's the one who translated the message Bible. Pretty good, pretty good guy, Eugene Peterson. And so we think, how do I change out there? It feels so helpless and hopeless. And I'm with you. It does feel helpless and hopeless. Well, let's break it down into things we actually have agency over. How can I come into alignment with the king and his kingdom? How can my family, my roommates, how can we begin to do life that looks more and more like Jesus, and more and more like the kingdom? How can I handle myself if I have agency in a workplace? How can I do my job as unto Jesus, my master and king? Are you getting my, the point? And every little act, it's like a little mustard seeds being planted. In Jesus, and Jesus said, that's what the kingdom's like, by the way. It's a little thing that goes into the ground, and that ground is you. We are His field, one Corinthians three nine, and His building, His walking temple, one Corinthians three sixteen. And everywhere I go, and I'm a green, there's this little seed that has the potential to grow to become a tree that eventually others could take rest and solace and eat the fruit from. So I want you to have that picture in your mind. Your whole life is an invitation to live as an embassy, as an emissary, an ambassador of heaven. That's all. This is the last slide. A colony or an outpost of the kingdom. God's empowering presence, filling. How many need infill? How many need forming? I need transformation. And how many want it to flow? It's not just ever about us and me. Through God's people in every place, they practice and proclaim the way of the king. That's my definition of the kingdom of God. Others have said it better and simpler. But that's it it's his presence filling me forming me and then flowing through me in every place i'm willing to practice and proclaim the way of the king this will necessitate incessant and unceasing prayer and that's why he taught it to us in the form of prayer it's overwhelming but prayer centers us grounds us and it really gives us a place to rest our spiritual head against the, the loving and grace of our father in heaven and where we look around, we're like, God, not only do I need bread, they need bread. Lord, give us daily bread. Not only do I need forgiveness, but Lord, there's so many people that I've wronged, or they've wronged me, or there's so much heinous stuff that happens in the church, in the world, and my family. Lord, forgive me my debts, as I also forgive those debtors. Come on, how many need God to do that? And then lead us not into temptation that's rampant from every angle, but deliver me from the power of the evil one. So, we see right at the heart of the kingdom prayer is this ongoing invitation to never leave, honestly, never leave a life of prayer. Someone said it like this It takes God to love God. If you agree, say amen. It's going to take Him to do the stuff. And that's why I love prayer so much, because it's a life. It's choosing to build a life with a vision of a God-saturated reality. In the midst of a colony of death, I'm sorry, in a country of death, the church is called to be a colony of heaven. Why? Because we follow the way, truth, and life of Jesus. And he's come, John 10:10, the great, to give life and life to the full. Here's why that's so powerful. The first half of that sentence The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How many know we live at the intersection of that messiness, that hostility, that battle? and he's calling the church to stand and to operate. Your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. You stand up on your feet with me. Just think right now, just as we think about repentance and alignment, just spend 30 seconds before you go and watch your favorite team Go, whatever, eat leftovers for the 17th time. But when you're eating Mama Dori's leftovers, it's like a fresh meal every time. But please, before you just run off, where does the kingdom of God need to come in your life today? Where, do you, where does God's grace and Holy Spirit convict you to come into alignment with Christ and his reign of rule? What fang are you carrying that you're trying to solve that you actually need him to solve it, but you've been trying to do it on your own strength? What relationship, what debt are you carrying against somebody else that Jesus goes on to say, forgive them as I forgive you? In what area in your life is temptation kicking your tail? And you need power and a plan to overcome the enemy's schemes and plans by relying on the Holy Spirit and walking it out of community? What area where you're just tempted and it's just, you just was like every time you come up against that giant, it leaves with the spoils of victory and you leave defeated. How could you ask the Father in heaven to give you grace and power through his Son by his Spirit to conquer that this week with the help of others on the authority of God's Word? And if you just have something, one takeaway, could you just say Amen? Something to come into agreement and alignment with Him. I love this. I'm gonna. This is our benediction. I, I try to quote this or at least think about it every week. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. This week, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Lord, I thank you that you send us out as your people praying your prayers and living in continuity with your will, your word, and your wisdom and this week. Lord, I pray that we would see a colony of heaven established where we're in a country, in a situation of death. God, I pray you'd fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to see what you're doing in a heart that just says, I want in. I want to join the Father and the Son in their kingdom endeavor this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.